John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kiltica, Ed. What is this, John? This is the High Gain Podcast. Nailed it. You did great. I thought it might be. Where are you recording from, John? I am recording from a souped-up basement in beautiful West Seattle, Washington. How about you? My basement is not particularly souped-up, but I'm also in a basement in West Seattle. It's kind of medium souped-up, I suppose. Little soupy? Sure, sure. Uh, what are we going to talk about today, John? Oh, man. We're going to talk about a common yet uncommon guitar. Okay. You down for that? Uh, yes. Yeah. This one's one of those ones I don't know anything about, you know? So, yeah, I'm ready. I like surprises. Get hip, Dad. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> We're going back to the 50s, you know? Yeah. I guess it just doesn't seem like a particularly jazzy guitar. We're talking about the Telecaster today, Ed. Okay. Only we're not talking about the Telecaster today, Ed. Right. Because the Telecaster I know about. This is a Nacho Caster. Yep. Nacho is the nickname of one Ignacio Baños from Valencia, Spain. How do you spell that last name? B-A-N-O-S. The N has a little squiggly thing over it. Isn't that the name for bathroom? One wonders. <laughs> Ignacio Nacho has a particular fascination with the Blackguard era of Telecasters. Oldie time guitars. Yes, they are considered to be the Telecasters made between roughly 1949 and 1953-54. Right. Very specific instruments. Wow. <laughs> 
Beverages. Beverages, Ed. What do you think of that? Billy Squire. Billy Squire. Yeah. Lonely is the night. I think Billy Squire. Bangers only. Yes. That album, whole thing, recorded with the Telecaster. Is he sitting down holding the Telecaster? On the cover, yes. We're firmly Gen Xers. Yeah. But I feel like that's some Gen X slash boomer knowledge right there. It's a great riff. It's really good. Yeah. What are you drinking, Ed? Oh. Yeah. I am so down the Billy Squire rabbit hole in my brain that I kind of forgot we're drinking beverages. I am having a Lipton green tea decaffeinated. Is it a hot steeped tea or a cold beverage drink? It's a hot tea. Lipton. (laughs) Grandpa style. Exactly. But it's decaf. It's a green tea for, you know, mellowing out. I figured I needed to be mellow for this episode. I don't know about that. No? I'm not so sure. Maybe I need a nice mellow beverage because I'm going to be so amped for this episode. That could be. What about you? I have a craft ginger beer. This is a Reed's Extra. It says 100% more ginger than the original. Great. That's pretty spicy. How is it? Mmm, delicious. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't I tell you a little bit about the Blackguard, Ed? Okay, yeah, I'm super interested. We know that Leo Fender was the first person to put into mass production a solid body guitar. But we should keep in mind that as early as the 1930s, Rickenbacker had made their kind of Bakelite solid body guitar. Les Paul had been working on his log guitar. Yep. And even Paul Bigsby made solid bodies for people like Merle Travis. Oh, no. (sighs) Merle Travis. Leo Fender. (sighs) Les Paul. Man, it's feeling deadly in here already. (sighs) A lot of dongs. But in 1944, Leo and his pal Doc Kaufman. Oh my God. They applied for a pickup patent. Who's this guy? Doc Kaufman. He was one of the Rickenbacker cats. But he's working with Fender? Yeah, he was partnered with Leo for like two or three years. They had the K&F company. It wasn't called Fender yet. Okay. They had a radio shop guitar, they called it, that they built just to hold this pickup. And that was kind of a solid body. Okay. Even though they only built it in order to apply for a patent for the pickup. Oh, funny. This is all to say that pre-1950, there were people messing around with this stuff. You hear that helicopter? I do. That's how close we are, John and Ed. Yeah, we can hear the helicopters. At the same time. They can read your heat signature, Ed. Don't move. Well, I'm in the basement. Put the foil blanket over yourself. Right. Okay, good. Where was I, Ed? Oh, yes. In 1950, Fender introduces the Esquire. You know the Esquire. It has just one pickup. Single pickup, yep. Single pickup, no truss rod. It was just a solid piece of maple. Oh. Leo thought 
hey, rock maple, it's very hard, the neck won't bend. Eventually they would find out, yeah, it would, <laughs> and a lot of those necks would come back for replacements. Yep. Interestingly, in this first year, a lot of the guitars were black. The guitars? Yeah, the first bunches they made were black, and then they went to the kind of see-through blonde finish. Hmm. So in that year, 1950, how much was an Esquire? $182, final answer. That is pretty close, Ed. $139. In the ballpark, I guess. And that must have been kind of a bargain, because in today dollars, that's only like 1500 bucks. Oh. Yeah, that beats the high-gain index of 2K. Wait, this is 1950? What did I say? 182? Yes. Dollars today. Wow. I said 182, and I was just gut-shotting the 2,000 number. Yeah. What do you think that is? $2,000? $2,008.74. You have <laughs> internalized your own index. That's awesome. <laughs> that is crazy. Holy shit. The year wasn't even out before they began introducing revisions. Okay. Leo believed quite a bit in field testing. Within the year, they made a couple few important changes. They did end up putting a truss rod in there. <laughs> <laughs> and they put a second pickup. Huh. With the addition of the second pickup, they called that the broadcaster. That's late 1950. Getting a little more expensive. 169 dollars That's about 1850 Yep. Of those broadcasters... Uh, less than 250 were ever made. And I think you know why. Yes. It was Gretsch who sent a telegram saying, you are infringing on our copyright. They made a line of drums called Broadcasters. Broadcaster with a K. And if you don't want the trouble, you might want to knock it off, Dad. So Leo did. Yep. Hey, boss, what are we going to do with all these decals we made that say Broadcaster? Just cut off the Broadcaster. Yep. So that's what they did. These are called no-casters. Yep. This all happens early 1951. So they're making these no-casters while they're trying to figure out what to call the guitar. So to kind of make up the shortfall there, they reintroduced the Esquire. So for that period of time, you could get both a no-caster and an Esquire. I thought I remembered that they made the Esquire more than just that one run you initially talked about. Yeah. Finally, Ed, they come up with the name. Okay, we're going to call it the Telecaster. The first full year of production of the Telecaster under that name is 1952. Very successful. Based largely on this success, Gibson came out with the Les Paul. They wanted a piece of that action. They wanted to compete. It feels like that writing should have been on the wall. As far back as 1950, when they come out with the Esquire, imagine the Gibson guys. Maybe they're thinking, this thing's dopey looking. Nobody likes it. Don't worry about it. Maybe Gibson didn't think anything was going to come of it. I don't know. Yeah. The second thing that happens in 1952 is Esquire magazine threatens legal action over the Esquire name. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. This time, however, instead of acquiescing, Leo Fender told them to get bent. Pound sand. Yeah, ooh, that's a good one, 1952 style. Pound sand. And they just kept making it. Hell yeah. Also, in 1952, there was not yet a custom color program. Right. 
They didn't actually formalize that until 1957, but you could order it in a color and they would do it for you. I think, John, that the fine people of the internet should go back and listen to episode 96. Yes. We did the 1955 Fender Precision Bass. Yes. And we go into the whole paint story in that. Yeah. Listen to that. I think they went to just like a mom and pop paint store down the street from the factory and just bought cans of paint. I think that's kind of how they did it. I think you might be right. They would actually refinish your guitar for you as well. Cool. They charged $9.99 to do the body huh? and $4.32 to do the neck. That's a total in today dollars of 140 bucks. I would gladly just send a guitar in and have them do a color for me. Fuck. For 140 bucks? Yeah. People won't strip a guitar and paint it for you for $140 today, will they? I don't think so. Not today, I don't think. No. That seems like a bargain. Yeah. 1953, Ed. Okay. The Telecaster has a full year under its belt, and it's doing so well. The plan is to double production. Hell yeah. If they did that, that would mean about 2,000 Telecasters. And they did end up doing that. Good for them. With the introduction of the Stratocaster in 1954, Telecaster production then decreased. Okay. They made the finish more opaque, less transparent, and they put a white pick guard on it. Yep. Thus ends the black guard period. What do I hold in my hand? A 1953 Telecaster? No. This is a Nacho Caster. Okay. Who's Nacho? We introduced him briefly at the beginning, Ignacio Baños. Yep. Born in 1955 in Valencia, Spain, lives there to this day. Starts playing in bands in 1982 as a teenager, like most of us. His father buys him his first Telecaster, and he flipped for it, Ed. He just decided right then and there, man, Telecaster, that's me. I love Telecasters. I love the people that play the Telecasters. That's it. Then he goes to college, then wants to get his MBA and moves to Boston, of all places. He goes to Boston University School of Business, our man Nacho. Wow. And he buys a broadcaster for $4,500. In what year? 1992. He was so into Telecasters, he moved to a cheaper apartment to save money so he could buy more guitars. My man. He decided he was going to start collecting these things. This is my guy right here. I'm feeling this dude's vibes. Big time. Yeah. I don't know how many he took back to Spain with him. He got his MBA and went back. Okay. His father made the first plastic bottles in Spain in the 1950s. There was a meeting in the early to mid-50s, and the plastics executives decided that the key to the success of plastic was landfills. Oh. And they said that in the 50s. Cool story, bro. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> so his father had a company in plastics, and they made tooling and materials in order to make custom plastic products for the food and beverage industry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nacho takes over the company and makes it into a kind of multinational. I like to think that Nacho has poured his heart and soul into biodegradable plastic alternatives. I like to imagine that Nacho's out there saving the planet one biodegradable bottle at a time. I've got to think he's thinking about this. Okay. The company is very successful and he does well at it. He's still the CEO of this company. That's how he makes his living. He wanted the Telecaster passion to remain just that, a passion. I think that's kind of smart. Sure, yeah. Nacho is traveling down the Telecaster rat hole, learning so much about it that he becomes and is today considered one of the foremost experts in Telecasters. In the late 90s, someone suggested, you know so much about this, maybe you should write a book. And so he did. Took him five years. And it's called The Blackguard Book. 420 pages of everything you could ever want to know about these guitars. Do you have that book? I have it here, yes. Superfan Alex loaned me a copy of the book. Nice. Superfan Alex, way to go. At the time, in the late 1990s, at Fender in Corona, you could visit the archives. Nacho did that and was allowed to actually disassemble vintage instruments and take pictures of all the parts and make measurements of things and look at production records. It's all in this book. It's crazy. That's pretty great. So not only is Nacho looking at these guitars in the Fender archives and taking pictures of them and taking them apart, but by this point, he himself has examples from the 50s. So without further ado, Ed, this is a Nacho Blackguard. The very first thing I notice, even before I plugged it in, I strummed a chord and I could feel it vibrating through the body. I don't know if I'm out of place in saying that this is astounding, but it kind of is. The bridge position where the Telecaster will shine. Where do you got the tone on that? As tony as it gets. Okay. Yep, pretty telly. As necky as it gets. I'll go into the middle, and we're back where we started. After publishing the Blackguard book, Nacho decides to make his own guitars. He decides to try his hand at it. So he makes four of them, and he wants them to look like the examples from the 50s. He doesn't want to copy them. He's not going to try to pass them off. I've looked at photos of his stuff, and it's like thoughtful relicking. That's a great observation. It takes him months to wear these guitars because he does it completely by hand, and he doesn't make any of it up. When I read that, I thought, well, what does that even mean? Well, it means that he has so many pictures and owns these things that he can look at them and by hand, one at a time, put the dings and the nicks and the scratches in it, patiently doing it a little at a time. Yeah, I guess if you've seen hundreds of them, yeah, you probably have a pretty good idea of what realistic wear looks like. That's how he does it. And then he spends time actually playing to add the additional kind of grime and wear and all of that. This thing feels completely broken in. That's pretty great. 
Boy, it seems like the last couple of guitars we've done have been just so cool. Yeah, I feel like you definitely can see the difference between something kind of cranked out of a factory and something where some dude spends months. Yeah, everything about this screams attention to detail and handmade. He even had chemically analyzed the lacquer that Fender used in the 50s and then developed his own formula to match it. Some of those photos I saw of that checking is bonkers. It's so good looking. It's wonderful. So he made four of them, and he gave them to musicians he knew. He didn't really have any thought towards a future for them, except that the reception was really great. So then he made eight more for those people's friends. Until now today, he makes them in four batches a year, quarterly. And he only makes 15 to 20 per batch. What is the one you have? Is it a no-caster? It's a Telecaster. There's no label on it. Right. And the interesting thing is, they are so excruciatingly done by hand, and the wear he puts into them by playing them, that he cannot legally sell them as new guitars. (laughs) Weird. If you buy a nacho caster from him, you are buying technically a used guitar. Huh. It's so beat that he can't call it new. That's pretty funny. We've seen a lot of custom shop guitars come out of Fender, you and I. And we've seen some beautiful things. This is just head and shoulders above any of it. But maybe the guys at Fender don't have the luxury of the time that Nacho has. Yeah, I mean, he's also making such a specific thing. I feel like a lot of the custom shop stuff, I guess they do faithful replicas of the era in the color and, you know, reproductions of old stuff, but not really like this. You sign up to be on his mailing list. You can't go to his website and just buy one. Then he emails you when the batch is out, and apparently they disappear in minutes. Any cool players of these things? Keith Richards plays them. Oh. Which makes sense. Maybe you're Keith Richards and you want a beat-up looking guitar that looks like your own beat-up guitar. And Nacho does those now. Humbucker in the neck. Yeah. He's even kind of branched out into basses and strat-style stuff. Yep. Would I take this thing in a heartbeat? Yep. Master built from Name Your Dude at Fender or a Nacho. That's the sort of equivalent, and that's probably a pretty equivalent cost. I don't know. I can't badmouth the custom shop dudes, because those guys are great. Yeah. All things being different like they are, I suppose you pick up the guitar and you play it, and you see what you react to. Yeah, for sure. This is a pleasure to play. It's the first one I've ever laid hands on. You hear about these things and you think like, oh, I wonder if I'll ever see one. That, Ed, is Nacho. You know, in a couple weeks here, I'm going to be driving to Palm Springs. So I dropped off a big bag of pedals. You know, maybe mix up the board a little bit in these upcoming episodes. I think I will. Yeah. I got a special something planned for you in terms of the board, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So that's it, Ed. 
that's the Nacho Guitars story. What do you think of that? I think it's great. Yes. I think you did a really good job today, John. Oh, thank you very much, Ed. I think you did a pretty good job, too. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, pretty good. Where can people find us, Ed? Oh, man, they should go to thehighgain.com. Oh, that's a good one. Always. Yep. There's links there to everywhere else, like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Pinterest. And there's a link to patreon.com slash thehighgain. Oh, that's also a good one. We're posting weekly episodes, bonus episodes. You get to hear those before anybody else. And you know you want them, like, hot off the press. Yeah. Now? Yeah. For the listeners, with video. Bonus episodes with video. It's great. I think people should totally do all of those things. Fantastic, Ed. All right. I will see you in a month and a half, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm not going to actually see you, but we'll be doing these episodes. Yep. Okay, then. Drive safe. Bye. Bye. Bye.